You know, each of us in this room has a story. Everybody has their own individual story that I could sit down with you probably for hours and you could tell me about your whole life. And in each of our stories, there's a bunch of details, some more exciting than others, different events that have happened, birthdays, friends, families, uh, good things, bad things, hard things that have happened in our life. And for all of us, in the midst of all the details that make up your, your story and my story, our individual stories, there's, there's those moments or times where there's something significant has happened. Or maybe someone significant has come along in your life to really bring about a formative time in your life, a shaping time in your life. Maybe it was a certain event. Maybe it was when you graduated high school or college or you got your first apartment on your own or opened your first bank account. Maybe it's when you proposed or you got married or had a child or when you changed jobs. Maybe it's when you got involved in a solid church. And I hope one of those events for you is when you met Jesus, when you trusted in Christ and began to follow after him. Maybe it was a certain person that came along to walk with you through a certain period of your life, a coach, a friend, a teacher, a parent, a sibling. When you look back at these times and events and people, it should be clear to you, it's probably clear to all of us that those moments did play a huge role in shaping you to be who you are today. To be doing maybe what you're doing today. Maybe you can think, man, I wouldn't be living in Fairfax today if it wasn't for this specific thing going on. I believe that we are in a critical point, an important place in the life of this young church. We are a part of creating a culture here at Sojourn Church. If you call Sojourn your church, if this is your church, then you are a part of shaping the culture of this church. We haven't been around for a really long time. And so in in light of that, we are in the process of creating a culture for this church as we continue to go forward. And as we've said before, that's an exciting thing. It's exciting to think about, man, I can, I can be a part of shaping the future direction and vision and culture of this church, but it's also a scary thing because I can be shaping the vision and the direction and the culture of this church. And what we do today will have impacts on what we do in the future as a church. And all of us, all of us, I don't care if you're in leadership or you're just a part of this church, you are a part of shaping the culture of Sojourn Church. Well, today, as Alan mentioned, we're starting a new sermon series called Sent. And as I've been thinking about this series, as I've been praying about it, as I've been talking with Alan and Evan about it, I really believe that this sermon series over the next seven weeks can be a significant shaping time for our church. Not because I'm going to say anything eloquent or super persuasive or do it in a special, innovative way, but because I believe God uses his word and uses this time to change his people. Man, this can be a culture creating and shaping time. And so I don't want this just to be another sermon series for you. I don't want this just to be another sermon series for me, getting up and preaching week in and week out. I don't want it just to be another one. We say, well, yeah, that was good. And I moved on. I don't really remember much of what that was about. And so before we really get into it today, I want to ask you to do something over the next seven weeks. I want to ask you to specifically take time and pray throughout the next seven weeks that God would do some amazing things as we walk through this series, that he would do things that only he can do, that he would change and shape the culture of our church for his glory, not our glory. I want to ask you to be attentive to the spirit over these next seven weeks, that you wouldn't just be praying for the church kind of in general. You'd be praying for your own heart, your own soul, your own mind to be attentive to what the Spirit wants to communicate to you through our time in the Word over these next seven weeks. The Scent series, very simply put, is about mission. It's about mission. 
Now, mission is kind of a churchy word. Right? We, we use that word mission in the church, and I don't know that we always give definition to it. And maybe you've never heard the word mission before as it relates to the church. So as a definition for mission, when I say mission, what I mean is it's the process of participating in God's rescue plan for humanity. It's the process of participating in God's rescue plan for humanity. See, when sin entered into the world through Adam... When, when Adam decided to rebel against God, that brought all of the world, that plunged all of the world, all of humanity into sin, into rebellion against God. It affected everyone. And what that means now is that everyone needs to be rescued. Everyone needs to be rescued. And we decided to go our own way. When we decided to try and be the God of our own life, following after Adam, all of us are in that place that we need to be rescued. And the only one that can rescue us is God. Who's the only one that's holy? Who's the only one that has the ability and power to do that? And so this morning, if you are in Christ, you are called. I am called to participate in the rescue plan of God, the mission of God. We are called as the people of God to do that. And listen, it doesn't matter where you are on your, in your relationship with God. It doesn't matter how much you know. It doesn't matter if you're gifted in certain ways or not. If you are a follower of Christ, if you've been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, God is calling you as part of his people to be a part of seeing this mission go forward. This is Jesus's church. This is Jesus's mission. And man, we get to be a part of it. So let's get after it together. And so as we begin this, let's pray and ask God to do that work over these next few weeks. Father, I, man, I love this church. And I love the people that make up this church. That's what the church is. It's not anything else beyond your people. But Lord, in your providence, in your sovereignty, you have decided at this moment in time that these are the people that you want to gather together in an elementary school gym to be Sojourn Church. And so, Lord, I do pray. I pray, Lord, that you would do things today. I pray that you would do things over the next seven weeks that would create a culture in this church that we would look back and say, man, I I know when God began to move us towards mission as a church. And Lord, again, it wouldn't be because I say anything. It wouldn't be because we sing certain songs. It wouldn't be because of, uh, of anything that we do in and of ourselves, Lord, but it'd be because your spirit is working in us. And so Lord, I ask that the Spirit would work in us today. I know that if we're in Christ, the Spirit dwells in us, but I ask that the Spirit would move us. Lord, wake us up if we need to be woken up this morning out of whatever fog we might be in in life right now. Help us to take our gaze off of ourselves and to set it on you. And Lord, I pray that you would change this church so that through this church that you would change our city for your glory. Lord, we ask, we beg for you to do that today. And pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are going to be in John chapter 20 this morning. That's where we're going to look at, where we're going to spend most of our time. So if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and open up to the book of John. John is one of the four Gospels, what we call the Gospels. It's the last of the four. And if you are having trouble finding it, feel free to look at your table of contents so you can find it. We're going to be in John chapter 20 this morning. Starting in verse 19, this is what John writes. 
On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Now this may be uh, a new story for you. Maybe you haven't heard this or read this before. So let me just give you a little context about what's going on here. What's happening in this particular moment that we just read about that John records for us. Jesus has been crucified. His hands and his feet have been nailed to a wooden cross. A spear has been jabbed into his side. He has died. And after this point in time, one of his disciples, who was more well-off, comes and asks for Jesus' body so that he could bury Jesus' body. And so he buries Jesus' body in a tomb that's carved out of rock, and and a big rock is rolled in front of the tomb. At this point in time, most of Jesus' disciples have fled. Peter, one of his disciples that's the closest to him, has denied him three times. And this man, this man who's supposed to be God's son, this man who's supposed to be the promised Messiah and king is dead. He's dead. He's gone. But then Sunday comes and something crazy happens. Mary, one of Jesus' followers, goes to his tomb early that Sunday morning and she recognizes the fact that the stone has been rolled away and she freaks out a little bit. I mean, there's this massive stone in front of Jesus' grave, and he, 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 the stone's not there anymore. She's, what's going on? And so she freaks out a little bit, and she, she runs to tell the other disciples, and she tells the other disciples, and now Peter freaks out a little bit because that's what Peter does. And so Peter freaks out, and he takes off running. And John, the one that's writing this gospel, he takes off running too, and they run to Jesus' tomb and see, yeah, Mary's right. The, 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 the door is open. The tomb is open. What's going on? And they go inside and they see, man, Jesus isn't there Jesus' body is not there, but his grave clothes are there. I mean, they're confused, they're perplexed, they're, they're marveling at this. Could, could it be, could Jesus really have risen from the dead? I, I mean, I vaguely remember him saying something about that, but could that actually have taken place? What's happened? What is going on? And a few hours go by throughout the day, and we see that the disciples are huddled up in a room on Sunday night. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. I mean, I think these guys are legitimately scared, legitimately confused and terrified about everything that's going on. In between Mary coming to tell them that the tomb has been open and them going and seeing that it's open, Mary actually meets Jesus. Jesus comes to Mary and she sees him. So she runs back and tells the disciples, look, I I think I've seen Jesus. They've seen this empty tomb, yet they're still fearful. They're still scared, maybe not quite grasping what's going on here. Maybe asking the questions, man, what are we supposed to do? Well, what if the same people who nailed Jesus to a cross come after us? What are we going to do? What's happened? But then Jesus shows up. Jesus came and stood among them and he said to them, peace be with you. I mean, can you imagine this? Jesus comes to them and he stands in the room with them and the words out of his mouth are, peace be with you. He speaks a word of peace to these terrified men. He speaks a word of peace to these people who have abandoned him. 
Now, peace be with you is a traditional greeting. And there's nothing in and of itself. It's not anything special about it. Lots of people say it. And so it's a traditional greeting. But in this moment, there's more significance to it. And we'll come back to it in a moment because Jesus says it again. I mean, I can imagine this scene. We've got freaked out disciples closed and, and behind a locked door. Jesus shows up and speaks to them. They're looking at him and then looking at each other and maybe backing up a little bit. And then looking at him and then looking at each other and the, the, the hair standing up on the back of their neck kind of going, Wait, um, you're supposed to be dead. I know the grave's empty. I don't know what's going on here. But I love that Jesus is gracious to them. When he had said this, when he had said, peace be with you, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus assures them it is him. Look, you saw me crucified. You saw the spear jabbed into my side. See my wounds now. It is really me. And what happens to these fearful men? These men who are locked behind closed doors. These men who are terrified out of their minds. What happens to them? It says, man, they are glad when they saw the Lord. They're no longer terrified and scared as much as they were before, but they are filled with joy. It is really him. Jesus really is alive. And I can imagine their heads are spinning a bit, their hearts fluttering, their adrenaline pumping, feeling mixed feelings of joy and shock of being overwhelmed. But then what happens? Does Jesus say, guys, look, I'm sorry to have to toy with your emotions. I tried to tell you that I was going to have to die and that I was going to be raised again from the dead. But look, now that we're back together, let's hold hands. Let's talk about how you feel and how you're scared. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says to them again, peace be with you. As one commentator pointed out, it is significant that Jesus speaks a word of peace to these men. Man, we can't, we can't brush past this as if it is just a traditional greeting. Jesus speaks peace, not blame to them. He speaks peace and not fault finding. He speaks peace and not rebuke. That's what these fearful disciples hear. See, this isn't just a greeting. This is a declaration from Jesus. You are fearful of the world. Peace be with you. You're struggling to believe. Peace be with you. Peace be with you, see the nail holes in my hands. Peace be with you, see the wound in my side. Peace be with you. In Hebrew, this phrase, peace is shalom. And shalom is a more encompassing word than just what we maybe traditionally think of when it comes to peace. It's not just about calmness or tranquility or harmony. It's a word of restoration, of wholeness, of completeness. See, when the shalom of God, when the peace of God has come, it is light in darkness. It is healing in brokenness. It is freedom in slavery. It's a word of reconciliation. So why does Jesus say this to these disciples in this moment? Why does he take this common phrase and redefine it for these disciples in this moment? He says it because, look, the shalom of God has come because Jesus is alive. The peace of God has come because Jesus is risen Jesus has been resurrected, definitively defeating Satan's sin and death. See, what we need to see is the phrase, peace be with you, is connected with, it complements what Jesus said on the cross as he died. It is finished. See, because if Jesus is not raised from the dead, then the phrase, it is finished, has no meaning. As Paul would say, we would still be dead in our sins if Jesus is not alive. But peace is with them. 
peace is upon them because Jesus is risen and he is standing right in front of these disciples talking to them. I mean, that's insane. It's amazing to think about that these men who have fled and run away from Jesus, Jesus comes to them and tells them, look, the peace of God has come because I'm alive. Peace, shalom must mark the message of Jesus's church because through Christ, we have peace with God. Through Christ, we have peace with one another. And through Christ, we can spread this peace as the people of God to the world around us. And that's exactly where Jesus goes. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so, I am sending you. Peace has come. Sin has been defeated. The kingdom of God is at hand. So now go and tell other people about it. Again, Jesus doesn't rally the disciples up just to have a party and high-five and hug each other. He gives them a commission. He says, there is work to be done. The mission is not over. Sin has been defeated. Redemption has come. But people need to hear about it. People need to know about it. People need to believe. I didn't come just to save you. I came to save the world. And so I'm going to send you out to tell them. These men, sitting in a room, scared out of their minds. He says, I'm going to send you to tell them. And I love how Jesus throws this down. He says, as the father has sent me, as the father has sent me, well, how did the father send Jesus? And for what reason? Before the foundation of the world, the Godhead, the father, son, and spirit devised a plan to rescue the world from rebellion that would come. People created in the image of God would need to be rescued Because people created in the image of God would turn away from God in an effort to be self-sufficient and be like God. And because of that, death would enter the world through the rebellion of man. So how could they be rescued from this rebellion? What would they do? How would this rescue plan unfold? The Father would send his Son. Galatians chapter 4 verses 4 through 5 say this, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, Born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. God sent his son to redeem humanity. And how does this redemption happen? The son, who's given the name Jesus by his earthly parents, would live a life of perfect obedience, following the Lord in everything, being tempted in every way like we are, yet without sin. He would then willingly go to a wooden cross to lay down his life on behalf of his people, taking the punishment of sin that all sinners deserve, people from every tribe, from every language, from every nation. Jesus would go to the cross, canceling the record of debt that stood against us, setting us free from the slavery of sin that separated all of humanity from holy God. This is why the Father sent the Son He sent the Son to proclaim freedom to captives, to lay down his life in their place as a substitute, so that everyone who trusts in the name of Jesus might die to sin and live to righteousness. The mission of God the Father is the mission of God the Son, Jesus. And as my son Owen's Jesus Storybook Bible says, this is the secret rescue plan that God put into place to get his people back. Now, with that understanding, he then says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And I think we can get fired up about this. We can get excited about this. Man, this is it. This is when Jesus sends the disciples out and they go out all over the world to tell people about Jesus. 
But man, do we have to stop and ask a question? I think, I mean, we're going like kind of the disciples, Jesus? Like, like really, Jesus? The guys who abandon you, Jesus? Who are arguing over who's the best? Jesus, these are the guys you're going to send out? This is your mission plan? Is there not some other way, some better way to do this? You're entrusting the most important and critical news in all of eternity to these guys? And I think Jesus' answer to that is that that's exactly who I'm going to do it with. And that's exactly why I'm going to do it that way. Because at the end of the day, the only way, the only reason that these disciples, the only reason that anyone who's a follower of Christ is going to go out into the world instead of staying huddled up in a room, scared and terrified, is because the I Am has come and stood among them. Because the risen King is there who's been given all authority in heaven and earth and who goes with them and holds everything together. That's the only way they're going to be able to do this. The mission of God will go forward through the people of God so that only God gets glory for anyone's salvation. Jesus has already told them that he would not physically be with them forever. And he said, that's going to be a good thing because I'm going to send somebody else. I'm going to send a helper to you to help you to be able to live this in this world. So how can they do this? How will they be able to go out? And what will they do? He tells us in the next verses. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. Again, earlier in the Gospel of John, Jesus did say, he said, look, I'm going to leave. And when I leave, I'm going to send this Spirit. And this Spirit's going to help you. He's going to teach you. He's going to remind you of everything that I've already taught you and guide you. But what we have to see right here is what Jesus does now is he connects the spirit to the mission of God. He's not just going to help you. He's not going to just going to teach you. He's not just going to remind you, but he's going to empower you and enable you to proclaim the kingdom of God and the peace of God that comes through the son of God. Acts chapter one and chapter two shows us this full fulfillment of this as Jesus ascends to the father. The Holy Spirit comes and indwells the disciples and empowers them for mission. These men who are huddled up in a room, scared out of their minds, are filled with the Holy Spirit. And Peter stands up in front of a huge crowd of people and he preaches the good news of Jesus. He preaches the fact that salvation comes through Christ and Christ alone. And 3,000 people come to faith in Christ that day. The promise of the Spirit is directly linked to the commissioning of these disciples as missionaries. The spirit, not self-will, the spirit, not just a good try and a good effort, will empower them to do what God has called them to do. And many of these men, almost all of them, would go to their death because they proclaimed the good news of Jesus. Now, verse 23 sometimes trips people up, but it doesn't have to. Jesus is not giving these guys some superpower or privilege to say, well, I'll forgive that guy, but I don't really like him, so I'm not going to forgive him. That's not what's going on here. They don't withhold or give forgiveness in that way. This is not absolution as some churches would teach. It's the role of a messenger to deliver a message that for some people is going to be life and for some people is going to be death. The Apostle Paul got this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. Jesus is with us as we go, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of God of him everywhere. The knowledge of him everywhere. 
For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To one, a fragrance from death to death. To the other, a fragrance from life to life. See, when the full gospel of Jesus is preached, some people will respond by the Holy Spirit, respond in faith. But some people will reject and so the church doesn't tell you if, you're, if you can receive forgiveness or can't receive forgiveness. It doesn't withhold salvation from people, but it helps affirm if someone really believes the gospel or they're still dead in their sin. And the way that we do that as the church is by always and continually preaching the gospel over and over and over again to each other. And I love what we see in this in John chapter 20. One of the things we have to see in this is that the mission, of, in, uh, the mission of God involves the whole trinity. I mean, that's not some small, inconse- inconsequential thing. This is central to who God is and what he's doing in the world. Father, Son, and Spirit. But we also see in this is that the mission of God is fueled by the resurrection of Jesus. If Jesus is not raised, there is no mission of God. If Jesus is not raised, he isn't Lord. He doesn't have authority over all things. But Jesus is raised, and Jesus is Lord, and that changes everything. In Matthew chapter 28, Jesus is talking with the disciples there, and he's giving a similar commission to them. And he says this, he says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Why has all authority in heaven and earth been given to Jesus? Because he's raised, which means he is Lord, he's alive. And so then he says, go, therefore, go in light of the fact that I am Lord, in light of the fact that I am raised, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I'm not going to leave you on your own. I'm going to give you this spirit to empower you to do this. The mission mandate of Jesus has to be directly linked to his resurrection. It authenticates the mission of the church. The disciples' mission proceeds directly from Jesus' mission. He came and accomplished his mission. He died on the cross for sinners. He took on the sins of the world. He was raised again from the dead. And now we go out with that message or sent out into the world. And so what we have to see with this is this is not an optional endeavor Jesus doesn't say, hey, I'm going to put a sign-up sheet by the door. And when I leave, if you'd like to go out and share the gospel with people, I'd love for you to sign up. We'll do some mission training classes and we'll send you out. But it's not for everybody. Some of you are more serious about your faith than others. So if you're not really serious, don't worry about it. That's not what Jesus says. There's, There's no room for option in this. And there's no room for option. This is not an optional endeavor because I think this is directly linked to the disciples' identity now. As we read from Romans chapter 6, Jesus died and was raised. And that means that if we're in Christ, we also have died and been raised to new life. We as followers of Christ cannot live life separated from the resurrection of Jesus. It impacts everything for us and it impacts everything for the disciples. They are no longer a part of this world. They are citizens of the kingdom of God. But what Christ is doing now, he's saying, I'm not pulling you out of the world, but I'm sending you back into the world. But your identity is different now. You're ambassadors for me. And you're ambassadors for me because you've been united with me in my death, in my resurrection. Sojourn, here's the deal. We are Jesus' church. 
You are the church. Sojourn church does not exist apart from the people gathered together in this room. That is what the church is. And we exist as a church because he sent his disciples into the world to proclaim the message of the gospel. And we are sent like the disciples are sent. As the Father sent Jesus, so Jesus sends us. Disciples make disciples. That's what it means. A disciple is a follower of Christ. And inherently tied into being a follower of Christ means that we want more people to become followers of Christ. I don't think we can say that we are really living out our discipleship, that we're really following Jesus if we have no desire or are not willing or actively engaged in sharing the gospel with other people. If you're a follower of Christ, this is not an optional endeavor for you. It's not optional for me. Just like the disciples of Jesus in John chapter 20, our call to be on mission as ambassadors for Jesus is the reality of your identity if you're in Christ. It's the reality of my identity if I'm in Christ. I can't separate those two things. And again, this is for all of us. It doesn't matter how much you know. It doesn't matter how long you've been a follower of Christ. Everyone is sent out with the good news of Jesus. So what this means on the negative side is that if we are not actively engaged in going with the gospel to those who don't yet know Christ, then we are not walking in obedience to the Lord. Man, that that should hit you right between the eyes. Man, because it hits me right between the eyes. When I really stop to think about Jesus has called his church, his people, me, to go out and share the gospel with people. And if I'm not doing that, then I'm not walking in obedience to the risen king. If you are in Christ, you too now are not of this world, but belong to the kingdom of God. And you too are being sent back into the world to proclaim peace, to proclaim the coming kingdom, to proclaim that Jesus is risen, to proclaim that rescue and redemption have come, to proclaim the grace of God available to rebels just like you. It's a message that needs to be proclaimed. We need to open our mouths. This isn't just about doing good deeds for people. We actually have to open our mouths and tell people about Jesus. And the amazing thing about all this is that God has always pursued his people through his people. And then he continues to do that through the church. And when I say the church, again, I don't mean some amorphous organization. Yeah, the church should do that. My, My church should be better about doing that. Man, you are the church. I'm the church. We together as a family, as a community of brothers and sisters, are the church. But I wonder sometimes if one of the reasons that you struggle with being on mission, that I struggle with being on mission in our everyday normal lives, at work, in our community, at our school, in our families, is because we haven't or we don't regularly encounter the risen Christ. I'm not saying you're not a believer. But in the midst of the regularness of life, the mundaneness of life, you and I have forgotten that Jesus actually is alive. That he is Lord. That he does have authority over all things. That his kingdom has been inaugurated. That he has freed us from sin and death. That he has given us new life. That he has given us an awesome task and an amazing privilege. And that he will return again. That everything has changed because Christ is risen. Man, are we not the same as the disciples? When we're fearful and unengaged in the mission of God, is it not because we don't realize the significance of Jesus' resurrection? But sojourn, we know Jesus is alive. He is Lord. 
And man, I need to be reminded of that over and over and over again. I know it in my head, but man, sometimes I don't believe it in my heart. Sometimes I think, I think we know it in our heads. You know it in your head, but man, do you, do you believe it in your heart? Is it affecting the way that you live? And what does it mean for us? Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, 58, he says, Therefore, therefore, because Christ is risen, because sin and death have been defeated, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. This isn't your mission. This is Jesus' mission. This is God's mission. He is calling people to himself, but he's using you to do it. Jesus' resurrection fuels our mission We are empowered by the same spirit to bring the same message that for some will be a fragrance of life and for others will be a fragrance of death. But making disciples has to be a primary part of our identity. The reason that we're here, the reason that this church exists. We exist to glorify God by making disciples, teaching us all to obey everything that Christ commanded. We exist to glorify God by making disciples who know the gospel who really know the gospel, who are living out the implications of the gospel in our lives and then are going and sharing the message of the gospel. That's why Sojourn is here. That's what we want to be about, about making disciples, building disciples to be able to go out and tell more people so that more people might become disciples. In 1 Corinthians 15 earlier, Paul says that we should be pitied most among all people if Christ is not raised. If Jesus is not raised, then how you live your life should look foolish. You should look like a fool if Jesus is not raised. But if Jesus is raised, that should revolutionize everything for us as individuals and revolutionize everything for us as a church. But here's a question for you and here's a question for me. Are you living a life? Am I living a life that would be pitied if Christ was not raised by the rest of the world? Or am I just hedging my bets? Well, yeah, I I hope Jesus is raised. I believe Jesus is raised. But just in case maybe he's not raised, I'm going to do some other things. Live in this world as if this is all that there is. Would people look at your life and say, look, there's someone who's abandoned his life or her life to Jesus Christ and his mission. Man, I want that to be what Sojourn Church is about. What the people of Sojourn are about. We are called to take the gospel to the nations, and we are called to take the gospel to our neighbors. And Sojourn, at Sojourn, we love the nations, but I want us also to clearly love our neighbors and our communities and our coworkers. I want us to be committed to going with the gospel as ambassadors for Christ, going with the gospel, recognizing that we've already been sent. Do you realize we don't need to pray and ask God if I should go talk to my neighbor about Jesus? He's already sent you out into the world. You have the Holy Spirit, the same spirit. Jesus is alive. He has authority over all things and he has sent you out. Praying about being on mission is kind of a silly thing to do. You know that we're already supposed to do it. The question for us then is, are we going to do it? Are we going to be obedient or not? Now, I don't know where everyone in this room is on your spiritual journey. I know there's people in this room that are new believers. I know there's people in this room that are just still just checking out who Jesus is and what this whole church thing and, and, and knowing and trusting God is about. I know there's people in this room that God is transforming and changing your life. But what I do know is there's 
I don't know, 160, uh, 200 people in this room this morning. What would it look like if those of us who are followers of Jesus would take Jesus' call and commission seriously? What, What would it look like if 200 people lived their lives in such a way that says, man, it would be foolish if Jesus isn't raised, but I believe he has been raised. And so I'm going to go out and tell people that. What would it look like if 200 people in this room that call Sojourn their church went out into Fairfax in Northern Virginia and started sharing the gospel with people? And even, even just one person came to Christ through you sharing the gospel with 50 people, with 10 people, however many people, if just one person came to trust in Christ. Now there's 400 of us. What if 400 people go out, their lives being changed by the reality of the gospel? Jesus is alive. He's been raised from the dead. And we go out because we believe Jesus is serious that we should go and tell people about him. 400 people go out and share the gospel with a lot of people. And even just one person trusts in Christ as Savior. And there's 800 of us. Man, Jesus can change this church to send us out and it's not about being a bigger church it's about having more and more ambassadors for christ it's not about our glory so we can say hey look at sojourn church how great we are no it's about saying look how great jesus is and calling more people to him man i really believe god can change our church I believe God can mobilize us for mission because, and this is the reason why, I believe God wants to do that because I know that God desires to save people. The scriptures are clear about that. God desires to save people, to bring them into his family in Fairfax and in Northern Virginia. So I know that he can change us. He can use us as a church to do that, to call people to his son and his saving grace through the mouths of the people of Sojourn Church. A pastor from the 19th century said this, no higher honor can be imagined than that of being Christ's ambassadors. No higher honor can be imagined than that of being Christ's ambassadors and proclaiming in Christ's name the forgiveness of sins to a lost world. And Sojourn, let's see this as our highest honor and privilege. Not that you have letters after your name, not that you have a degree, not that you have a certain kind of job, not that you make a certain amount of money, that you live in a certain place. Let the highest honor, the highest privilege for you and for us together as a church be that we get to tell people about Christ's forgiveness of sins through his death and resurrection. Maybe you're new here this morning. Maybe it's the first time you've come to gather with Sojourn Church. Maybe this is your, your second or third time. Maybe you don't yet know Christ, but... I don't want you to think this is a weird Sunday for you to be here. I think this is a great Sunday for you to be here. Because, man, this is what I want this church to be about. This is what I want Sojourn to look like. This is what I want us to care most about. And if you don't yet know Jesus as Savior and Lord, then it's my highest privilege. It's my highest honor to say to you today that I implore you, I beg you to turn to Christ, to trust in him. And I don't say that from a position of superiority. I don't say that to you this morning. If you don't know Christ, I don't say that from a position of self-righteousness. Like I figured it all out. I haven't figured anything out. Man, I still struggle with sin. I still struggle with idolatry. I still struggle with unbelief. But man, I also love God. And I've experienced his grace and his kindness and his patience through Christ. 
And so I come to you this morning saying, I once was dead in my sin, but Christ made me alive. And I don't want you to remain dead in your sin. I want Christ to make you alive. So if you don't yet know Jesus, we, this is why this church is here. We want to help you understand who Jesus is. We want to help you know him and be able to follow after him and live, his li- live your life for him. And so if that's you this morning, would you consider Christ to turn away from your sin and trust in him for the forgiveness of your sin? If you have questions about what that means, if you, have, if you have questions about who Jesus is, things that you're wrestling with, please come talk to me. Come talk to any of our leaders. Get involved in a community group. Get involved in this church so that more people can tell you about that and help you with it. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Sojourn, we have been sent and commissioned by the risen Lord. This is what this series is going to be about. We're going to spend the next six weeks from here talking about what does it look like for us as a church to take this seriously, to be the sent ones. So will you pray? Will you be attentive to the Spirit? Will you respond in joyful obedience? I long for God to shape the culture of our church and the culture of my own life through these next seven weeks. As I said, I'm praying for that. I'm asking Him to do things that are clearly only His doing. But one of the things that we're going to do to help with this is we are creating a five-day-a-week devotional that you can do that'll go along with the sermons, that'll go along with community group discussion. And those are going to be posted every Sunday on our website at sojournfairfax.com backslash sent. And you can go on there and you can download the PDF and just read the scriptures, read what's been written, answer the questions that are on there. Make that a part of your week over the next seven weeks. I just want to ask that people would do that, that we would do that together as a church because I believe the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to shape the people of God. So as a church, if we are taking time together corporately as a family to look at that, to read that, to pray, and ask the Lord to do amazing things in and through us, I believe He'll be faithful to it. So let's get in it together, praying that God would make sojourn a church that is clearly abandoned to Christ and His mission for the glory of God and the good of others. Man, we come to the table every week to take communion. And every time we have this meal together as a church family, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. That's why we do it every week. That's what the scriptures call us to do, that we we would take this meal together to proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. And we know, Sojourn, that Jesus is alive, that Jesus is Lord, and that Jesus has sent us, his blood bought people, into the world with the message of peace and hope and reconciliation and redemption. But one day we won't be eating this meal with each other. We'll be dining at the wedding feast of the Lamb as the completed bride of Christ. But until that day, but until that day comes, man, let's go hard. Let's go hard and live our lives that would be pitied among anyone else if Jesus is not raised. Let's go out with the word of Christ on our lips, living it out in our lives and telling more and more people about the peace of God that comes through Jesus. And let this meal, this bread that represents the body of Christ given for you and this cup that represents the blood of Christ shed for you, let it invigorate you today to live in the reality of your identity as a sent one. Behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation And if you're not a follower of Christ this morning, as we come forward to take communion, just ask you not to come forward if you don't yet know Jesus.
And the reason we ask you to do that is because what this is for us is this is a, a proclamation that we believe that Jesus is going to come again. This is, a, this is a proclamation that we believe that the only way for us to be reconciled to God is through the body and blood of Christ. And so if you don't believe that yet, then we don't want you to come forward and take it because it doesn't mean anything for you. It doesn't save you. Instead, we want you just to hang out in your seat and just pray. Ask God to reveal himself to you. We want you to take Christ so that next week you can come forward as a brother and sister in Christ and take communion with us as a family, declaring the Lord's death until he comes again. And those of you that will come forward, you can come forward when you're ready to receive it and tear off a piece of bread and take a small cup and what Jesus has done for you will be spoken over you. And feel free to take it immediately or when you get back to your seat. Sojourn, God is calling people to himself. Well, let's be a part of seeing that happen in our city. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that what is clear in your word from beginning to end is that you desire to bring people into a saving knowledge of you, to be in relationship with you, to adopt people into your family as your sons and daughters. Lord, you are a redeeming God. You are gracious. You are loving. You are kind. You are steadfast. Lord, we praise you for that this morning because there are so many times in our own life that we struggle to believe. There's so many times in our own life where we get wrapped up in our own little world. But Lord, we thank you that your word calls us to something different. Lord, help us this morning to really believe that Jesus has sent us out into the world to proclaim the good news of Christ. Lord, I pray that you'd awaken us. I pray that you'd awaken us as a church. Let let us not be in a fog, in in a stupor, and just focus on ourselves. Revive our souls and our lives that through us you might bring revival to Northern Virginia. Jesus is risen. Lord, I pray that that be our deepest belief. I pray that that be our deepest motivation and the deepest truth that we would, that we would tell our neighbors about. Man, we want people to know Jesus. We don't care about them knowing sojourn. We want them to know Jesus. So change us through this series, Lord. Change me through this series, Lord. That I would love lost people. That I would love people who don't yet know Christ. And I would care enough about that to go and tell them about the grace of God that's available to them. Lord, do a work in this church, I pray. We want to be abandoned to Jesus. We want to be abandoned to his mission. We pray for your spirit to do that work. And we thank you for your grace. That as we have screwed up, as we will screw up, Lord, that you never leave us or forsake us. Lord, let us rest in our identity in Christ today and go out into the city with the good news of Jesus on our lips. We pray all this in his name. Amen.